Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. We're still in this series um, here in Redeemer, Liberated by Love. And we're kind of extending that a bit more. And um, this morning we're going to look at another encounter uh, with Jesus in the gospel. So if you've got a smartphone app or you've got a Bible, it'll come up on the screen behind you. We're going to dive right into what is one of my favorite, in fact, I would say probably my favorite passage of scripture, which is John 21. And I'm going to set it up just before we read it. So basically we have this story and another uh, encounter um, here at the end of John. Let's see. Yeah, we'll persevere. Keep going. Um, Simon Peter. <clears throat> Peter, <clears throat> let's talk about Simon Peter for a minute. Simon Peter was the leader of Jesus' band of co-conspirators. We all know about Peter, hopefully. One of the three closest to Jesus. He is uh, who this story centers around in John 21. We're going to look at him this morning. And he spent three years of his life following this wandering rabbi from Galilee. Jesus around, and he'd come to learn and come to see that this wandering rabbi from Galilee actually, in fact, is God's chosen one, God's sent one, the Messiah, the one whom Israel and God's people had been waiting for. And they'd experienced life together on the road, and they'd witnessed many miracles and healings and teachings and sermons, and they'd had hundreds of meals together and shared stories and dreams of what this kingdom of God uh, would look like what was going to become. Do you want to join me and we'll have a wee preach together? I think this guy could do Yeah, let's do it. Um, at the beginning of Holy Week then, I mean, it's all going so well. And about three, four weeks ago, we actually celebrated Easter and we had Palm Sunday the week before, which was the start of what we know as Holy Week, where Jesus, he, he goes down to Jerusalem. He makes his you know, descent from the Galilean region, and goes down into the big city at the time of Passover. And there's this real expectation. We know he got on the donkey, and he does this great entrance into Jerusalem, which is kind of a parody of power, um, as opposed to Pilate, who would have came in in all his pomp and ceremony, which, if we've been watching our TV screens over the last few days, we'll know that coming in on a donkey is a little bit more humble, perhaps, and different and maybe a, than what we might Im- imagine Pilate would have come into Jerusalem. Um, and I guess the disciples are, are they're thinking, we've, we've come to our big day. They're probably thinking about something as grand as what we might have seen yesterday on our TV screens. And people have probably thought these guys are crazy. They've written off three years of their life. Some people will think they've been crazy following this rabbi. And they're thinking, now's our time to show everyone that Jesus is going to come and he's going to take his throne there's this expectation that's been building and building and building. And they go down right to the center of the Jewish world, right to the center of, of the world, we might say, to Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to overthrow the rulers of the empire. And he's going to take his throne just as God had promised, just as the prophets of the Old Testament had promised. This holy takeover, this righteous rebellion, three years in the making, was going to happen 
And what the teachers of the law and the prophets had spoken about was going to happen, except it didn't quite play out as we know the way that we thought. And what actually ended up happening that Holy Week was a series of disappointments after disappointments for those merry men and women of Jesus following Jesus, the disciples, let down after let down, because we know Jesus was betrayed, arrested, mocked by the crowds. He was called a blasphemer. He was tried in a kangaroo court with no defense. He was sentenced and beaten to within an inch of his life, drilled outside the city, and subjected to the Roman emperor's death row execution method of crucifixion. And all of the hopes of this motley crew of disciples were squashed. All those hopes were really just destroyed. After three years following this wandering rabbi from Nazareth, And what was it all for? What was the point of all of that? And in the midst of it, we find Jesus' followers and his friends scattered. They just, they kind of go into hiding. They go into, some of them go into their homes or go stay with, they just just disappear off the scene. And Jesus has been crucified. And some betray him. A very few stood by Jesus. And many were distraught. And we know the story of Simon Peter, the leader, who's standing around this charcoal fire on the night that Jesus had been arrested, just before he was put to death. This leader of the uprising, Peter, there's a strong fisherman, he's a, a leader, he's an assertive, you know, maybe impulsive kind of leader um, who loved Jesus, finds himself around this charcoal fire being questioned by people Are you one of the disciples? And the great Simon Peter denies Jesus three times that night. And he was at his lowest point after that. He just betrays his friend, Jesus, the one whom he's really closest to. There's three of the disciples really close. Peter was one of those. And the the dream is over. Let down after let down. And then Peter himself lets down his Lord. He denies him three times. And fast forward one week one or two weeks, and we're in John chapter 21, which is my favorite passage of Scripture. Because things have changed in that time, as we know. Jesus has risen from the dead, which is an, am- I mean, it is an amazing thing has happened, and the disciples are ecstatic as we read this particular chapter we're going to read now. The dream was not actually over at all, and Jesus is actually alive But today we're going to think about Peter. We're going to think about Peter because Peter, in the the midst of this, his future is still so uncertain. Because imagine how Peter will have felt. Ecstatic that Jesus is alive. Confused about what it all meant because it didn't play out like a coronation. It played out like an execution. And then a resurrection. But most of all, Peter is weighed down by his own failure. And also just a real heavy sense of disappointment. He's full of mixed emotions, which I'm sure many of us can relate to. Because sometimes life's just not straightforward at all. We don't just feel one way. There's mixed emotions. And Peter, despite Jesus being alive, and he's appeared to them twice at this point... We, we, we followed one of those on the MS road, which Stephanie spoke about, in, about two, three weeks ago. 
I'm sure in his mind, repeating over and over and over again, was the events of that night in the, in the city of Jerusalem and how he ended up around this charcoal fire and how he ended up really doing what Jesus had predicted and how the rooster went off and how he was taken back and he let down his Lord. And he had been wondering, what does my relationship look like now with the risen Jesus? And we do remember, of course, all four Gospels tell how Jesus at the Last Supper turned to Peter and predicted what would happen. Jesus said, um, you will deny me and the rooster will crow. And that's indeed exactly what happened. And Peter actually goes out when he does the denial and the rooster crows. He goes and weeps bitterly because it all floods back to him, the meal around the table with Jesus. And he told me this would happen and it's happened. Heavy, heavy events that are really, one, two weeks later, Peter's still carrying, I imagine. But also, mixed in with Jesus is here what does it all mean and a great shame you could imagine it all running through his mind over and over and over again how how does Jesus feel about this is Jesus angry with me disappointed and in this encounter we're going to read the scriptures now I think it's really really good to read scripture together and we find Jesus appearing to his disciples for the third time and it's on a beach We're going to read from verse 1. John 21, afterward Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. So they're back in Galilee now, they're not in Jerusalem. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. So he's come back to what he knew, his fishing roots. Simon Peter told them, And they said, we'll go with you. And they all went out and got into the boat, and and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, who's writing this in John 21, he likes to refer to himself as the one that Jesus loved. He's kind of telling us all that Jesus loved him. John's writing this, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and broke the bread, took the bread and gave it to them, sorry, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he had been raised from the dead. So here we have, I mean, the title of this sermon could be Breakfast with Jesus. I mean, it's a beautiful thing on the beach with the shore lapping up. And Jesus has made a fire and he's cooking them breakfast. And then this encounter happens. Let's read on verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? more than these. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. 
He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he told him this the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you walked. And when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This was said to be shown by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So breakfast with Jesus on the beach. He is alive and Peter is carrying so much. He's gone fishing again and the Lord appears. And we've looked at all of these different stories in this series so far, encounters, and where Jesus is bringing this, what we're calling this liberation. You might call that salvation by love. This, there's an ethic of love at work that Jesus bringing the love of God to liberate. And these encounters we've looked at over the weeks and weeks and weeks often are people who've maybe been trodden over or oppressed or maybe they've been shamed or judged or abused or subject to the purification codes. And Jesus has come and lifted their shame and, and delivered them and brought liberation. But there's a sense here that this story is really personal. It's different because Peter's anguish here, you could say, is it's of his own making. And we've all been there. We've all felt that. You know, there's no one else kind of to blame, so to speak. There's, there's not really anything else operating other than he's, he's messed up. He's, he, he, he's disappointed. He's got an anguish because of a disappointment because he's let his Lord down. And that's what's going on with, with Peter. And his own fear clearly gripped him when he was around that charcoal fire that night and he denied his Lord three times. His denial wasn't about imperial oppression or power or as I say, the, relig- the, the, the ritualistic purification codes. It was a deeply personal affair and he was distraught. And the scripture says he goes out and he weeps bitterly. And it's stunning, this story, and it's my favorite passage of scripture because on this beach, Jesus cooks his disciples breakfast and he meets Peter's personal anguish. And Peter's wondering, what's going to happen? Is he going to be angry? Is he going to not talk to him? And what we see here is Jesus meeting Peter with this personal restoration. I mean, did you notice that there's a charcoal fire on the beach? There's two fires in the story. There's the fire that night with the rooster and then there's the fire on the beach. And this is not accidental. You could imagine the heat and the smell would have reminded Peter of the night of his betrayal. But Jesus has got, he's up to, he's up to something here. He, he's recreating this, but not the shame. But he's, what we can see is he's, he's initiating a restart. or a, He's recreating this to bring a new start for Peter. The failure, the, the disappointment, the shame that, is, that might well be associated with 
every time Peter sits around a fire for the rest of his life, and Jesus says, no, that's not what's going to be associated when you sit around a fire. You're going to remember breakfast with me. And can you see in the story how then Jesus draws Peter on this walk on the beach? And they have that beautiful, amazing conversation one-to-one. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, follow me. And again, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture because if you can think of it after all that Peter has went through, all all these carrying, all the guilt and the shame and the, the disillusionment, and I think maybe most profoundly the disappointment, you see Jesus as the face of God himself coming, not with judgment, not with reaction, not with anger, but with, with words of, of love and grace, of, of encouragement and of life that really lift Peter from the depths of his shame and, and restore him. In fact, not just restore him personally, but restore him with a sense of purpose, feed my sheep. I mean, you'll remember that Peter is the disciple that Jesus once called the rock on whom I will build my church. And Peter's probably thinking, that's over with. I'm going back to fishing. And Jesus is tenderly reminding him that he has not finished with his story. That his story is not over. In fact, it is just the beginning. Just like we were singing there, you make all things new. You will finish what you started by the by the power of your mighty love, just as Lucas led us in. The story's not over. Three times, to match the three times of denial, three times Jesus then says to him, feed my sheep. One sentence at a time, Jesus builds Peter back up. It is a remarkable, beautiful encounter, not least because we know that Peter then goes on to become one of the most significant, important apostles, leaders in the church. He sees the growth and the expansion of the church, this underground kind of movement of God from Jerusalem to the ends of the empire. And then, like at the end of John 21, it kind of foreshadows his death. Peter himself is crucified as a martyr at the age of 64. But these words of grace and liberation, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep, follow me. And I guess what I kind of want to say today here is that disappointment's not the final word. If there's any story that teaches us that disappointment is not the final word, I think it's this story. And I think we all will have experienced some levels of disappointment in life. And there's, it's layered, and there's many ways that plays out. But in this story, we see a liberation by love because in this story, we see that grace is the final word. That grace fosters life, that grace builds up, that grace transforms, that, that grace restores and mends and heals the wounds of disappointment and shame, that Peter is actually liberated by this love. I mean, Jesus could have moved on. I mean, we have here the risen Christ. He could have found someone else, probably, 
But he's not giving up on Peter and Peter's story. He's not letting Peter retreat. He's come back to minister grace. And when grace is at work, when grace is at work in our lives, when grace is given permission to work, it is the final word. When grace is given permission in our church communities, it is the final word. We actually talk about a bandwidth of grace. It's, it's grace that lifts people out of their shame. It's grace that transforms and liberates. When grace is at work, disappointment and disillusionment can never be the final word. And the, the Bible, the scriptures talk constantly. If you, I mean, it's not a happy book. <laughs> it's, not, it's actually a real book. It's, it's a, full of real people with real stories, full of weariness and disillusionment and disappointment and difficulty and the full gamut of human experience setbacks, letdowns, things not going to plan, betrayals and failures and expectations never reached, big and small. And yet when grace is at work, disappointment and letdowns and setbacks and betrayals and failures are never the final word. Despite the situation, despite the wreck, despite denying, I mean, Peter's, mess <laughs> is denying Jesus. It's not a small thing in that sense, but there's this beautiful personal restoration. And it just reminds us, I think, of, of God and Christ, who is pu putting this world back together piece by piece, is committed to personal restoration of us piece by piece. And if that means lighting a charcoal fire and cooking us breakfast and going for a walk on the beach with us, and reminding us of who we are, Jesus does that. I mean, there's a sermon just in relational health and communication and friendship just right there. Never mind anything else. Because the Lord never gives up on us. And he never gives up on any of you in this room. He never gives up on me. He is constant and he is faithful like we were singing about today. And love will win. Love wins the end of our story as we know is that love wins that one day this world will be remade new shalom the kingdom of God will reign there will only be one king and his name is Jesus I think that's what Romans 8 is getting at when it says and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose I think that's what that's really getting at is that the, the Lord is at work bringing his kingdom and bringing his shalom. And yet you and I know that we live in a broken world and we have all sorts of fears and disappointments and disillusionments. I love this quote from Martin Luther King, which says this, maybe it'll come up on the screen. There can be no deep disappointment where there is no deep love. And often we can grow disappointed or disillusioned because we've really, we care. It's easy to not care. It's easy to just not risk. It's easy to stay fishing and not follow the wandering rabbi from Jesus for three years. 
but there's a love, a deep love. I love that quote. The truth can be tough and disappointment is real and can come and expectations can be dashed. And yet what we have in our gospel, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that grace heals and grace mends and grace heals wounds and grace mends. Martin Luther King says, we must not accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. I love that too. I think there's a role for us today, Redeemer, this morning, today. <clears throat> there's a role for us, I think, from this story, just to look at Jesus' example as the church, as brothers and sisters, simply just about the importance of encouragement, the importance of words of life, the importance of putting an arm around a brother or sister and ministering grace to one another and the difference that that makes. And I know that there will be a myriad of stories in this room where someone has just said just the right thing at the right time or maybe they've not said the right anything at the right time. You get what I'm saying. And there's, there's grace because too many people have too many opinions and are jumping to, and you've experienced the touch of grace and it is grace that changes us. The community of God, the church, should be, and it often isn't, because hey-ho, guess what? One of the sources of our disappointment and disillusionment can even be the church itself. The community of God should be, asterisks, as we follow the Lordship of Christ, an environment where we can step in and follow Jesus' example and build one another up with words of life and love and grace. First Thessalonians says this, so speak encouraging words <clears throat> to one another, build up hope, so you'll all be together in this, no one left out, no one left behind. I know that you're already doing this, keep on doing it. I love that's from the message. Followers of Jesus, we should be, we're called to be. This is kind of what we're called to, we're, we're aspiring to be, this is what we hope, this is where we move toward, be, being a community where we foster environments of life, not fantasy, fantasies of denial, but real life in all of its myriad of human experience, from the highs to the lows, the household of God is a community that seeks the well-being of one another, that love one another, that build up one another selflessly with words of life and encouragement an affirmation. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens so fulfill the law of Christ. Proverbs 12, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Colossians 2, 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In this community today, this morning, right now, there will be people who really need encouragement. There will be some of you today it just the, You need an encouragement, just an affirming, truth-filled word or a timely, a timely word, a God-shaped word, a spirit, some word of life. Week in and week out, we come together and we carry all sorts into the room with us and all sorts through our lives. And it is these words of life that can sustain us, grace that transforms us. And there are people in this room who have a real gift for encouragement. There are people who are really good at this. And some of you will know them. I want to encourage you to continue to speak out words of encouragement. To exercise the gift that God has given you. To speak life. To speak words of life. That we may be a community of encouragement and affirmation.
I kind of wanted to take this a little bit further just as we kind of come to the table this morning. And I suppose I just wanted to share just a little bit of my, my own experience and maybe speak to some of the ways that disappointment can, can affect us. And I'm not a Peter type leader. I'm one of the, I'm the reluctant type leader. Uh, imposter syndrome and me are best friends. I'm like, how am I, how am I here <laughs> in ministry, in leadership? And actually an awful lot of leaders actually do say the same thing. Peter's that brilliant type of leader who makes things happen. And, and I know those kinds of leaders too. And they're a blessing to the church. But over the years, like many of you, I have found disappointment in, in life, in, in ministry, and in just, it's there, and it can cripple dreams, because you've kind of, like Martin Luther King said, had a deep love for something and taken a risk, and it hasn't worked out. I've known that, and I'm sure you've known that on many, many levels. Here's a few ways. We can actually become, we can become disappointed in ourselves, can't we? We, we, we can feel like Peter, that we've we, we, we replay those events in our mind over and over. I could have done something more. I could have been something. And we, we feel like we are responsible for that. We, we end up being disappointed in ourselves. I could have made a difference. We're disappointed in, in others. We become disappointed. Others let us down, including in the church, including our family and friends. They can let us down terribly. And we can actually feel used or, or betrayed and we can have those experiences that really affect our ability to kind of trust and go again, to open up to other people. We can kind of close in a little bit. When we're burned by disappointment, we kind of lower our expectations right down. We kind of like, we don't dream as much. We just kind of, it's kind of it shuts it down. And we, all of us, if not most of us, will have been there too. <clears throat> and I didn't really plan to say this, but even just this week, like people can let you, like, Steph and I had lunch on Friday, and I, I just turned to her and I said, are you, are you tired reading the statements about another church leader? And there's an investigation going on about Mike Pilavachi and Soul Survivor, and that has to take its course, so I'm not going to say anything about that. And many of you maybe won't know who that is, but you'll, it's not even just in the church. Leaders in general, right across different organizations, we get let down, we get disappointed and in people, and actually, when we're sober about it, we go there by the grace of God, go I. But a lot of the time, we're really angry and we're really bitter and we're disillusioned. In fact, I was texting some people in this community over the weekend and texting friends around the world about this, and they actually know people involved in, in some of that. And, and there's just such a great disappointment. We can be disappointed in our political leaders, we can be disappointed in our local leaders. Don't have to say much more about that. We can be disappointed in others, and that's a whole other talk, I guess, but we can have our hopes dashed again and again and again. And do you know what the final one? Not disappointed in myself, disappointed in others, but actually we can be disappointed in God. And there'll be people in this room that you've experienced one or all of these, and I'm one of those people. We're, we're human beings. We've experienced disappointment in God. God, you promised this. I took a risk. I gave three years of my life wandering around Galilee and first century Palestine following the wandering rabbi and then he was executed. Is that the plan? I should have just got a normal job. I should have just cracked on with that relationship. And not, I should have, all the thoughts, I'm disappointed 
with you. I've prayed the prayers and dreamed the dreams and broke the bread and shared the tears and ate the meals and served my heart out and it kind of all came crashing down around me. And what do we do with that? And we kind of think we're, I must be a victim of my own optimism. I'm just going to, that's it, done, no more. I'm just going to play it safe. And I remember season, I remember a particular season like that myself where I was experiencing a lot of sadness and heartbreak around a bunch of things. I felt very disillusioned and that actually really got quite close to faith. I was disillusioned with faith and with ministry and with community and church and all that kind of stuff. And I really was quite close to just throwing it all in. And I remember a friend, I don't know whether they have the gift of encouragement, they were just a timely word, who's another church leader. And I was sharing just all this anguish and this disappointment with him. And he, he turned around and he, he listened really graciously and he, um, he really related to it. And how I had felt let down, how I'd felt like I also am let down myself and how I'd, I'm disappointed in you, God, and I've wasted years of my life given to this thing. And I, I'll never forget what he said because he turned to the end of John 21 because there's another bit we haven't got to yet. After Jesus has done the whole, do you love me, do you love me, feed my sheep bit. Verse 21 and 22, there's this bit of the story where, where Peter kind of turns on the beach. We're back on the beach. Peter turns to Jesus and he says, what about John? Because John's kind of sitting over there on the beach. What about, what about him? What's going to happen? And Peter gets really preoccupied with John and what he thinks and what he's doing and what's his future look like. And, and Jesus just says, Jesus says to Peter, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. What is that to you, Peter? You follow me. What is that to you, Peter? You follow me. And it was, for me, it burned deep into my heart because I, I, re, I realized that ultimately I, I have allegiance to Jesus alone. And I guess that's the word of encouragement to you today. If you're carrying disappointment, disillusionment, a sense of shame, anger, the church again, that press statement again, that politician again, that, that family member again, or I've let myself, I've let people, that what, what, are the, what, are, what about them? What about that thing over there? It's going well. What about that ministry over there? What about him? What are they going to think? And it's like Jesus just said, he cuts through that and he says, just don't even think about it. What is that to you? Stop letting your mind... You follow me. And it just, it just really actually grounded me in a, real, in a real solid place. So I was like, yeah, it's Jesus I'm following. I'm not following that church leader. I'm not following that whatever, that denomination, that dream, that mission. That I'm following Jesus. I'm trying to stay faithful to Jesus. And we find a Jesus who's so faithful to us. Don't worry about what other people are saying. I, Jesus, am the one that you're following. Look to me. I have died and risen to redeem you, to bring new life to you. Don't be worrying about someone else. I am the good shepherd. You can trust. You can trust in me. I will never let you down. And I guess just we're going to come to the table now, behind, which is what we do every, every week. We, we worship at this table of grace behind. And I just have a real sense, perhaps, just in this room, and it might not be for everyone. You'll be like, I'm not disappointed today. I'm really I'm in a good place today. That's, okay. That's actually okay. But there's going to be some people in this room who maybe you're really carrying a sense of 
it just didn't work out, did it? Are you really disappointed? It might be a really small, it might be like very focused on a relationship. It might be like a quite, a, quite a significant big thing. It might have led to some big life changes for you. Some sense of betrayal or disappointment or letdown. Just like the mixed emotions that Peter was experiencing. And I just want to like encourage you to come to the table today and just meet Jesus again. Taste of grace. I started seeing a spiritual director about a year ago. Uh, it's good to see a, a lady on the York Road who, she's a spiritual director to a lot of different priests and ministers right across the city, Protestant Catholic. Uh, she's trained in Ignatian spirituality by the Jesuits and all of that. She's a really lovely lady. And I go once a month and I sit in the chair and, and we, it's funny. We don't, because she doesn't say anything. We literally sit, sit in silence. So you have to break the awkward silence. And, and spiritual direction, if you don't know about it, is, is it's really basically trying, it's different from therapy and counseling, which I'm a huge fan of. But it's really trying to say, where's, where's God in your story? And there's been a few occasions over the last year or two where I have kind of come into that room feeling like disappointed, heavy. And she's really annoying because she always just says, well, have you told God about it? Have you told God? About, have you gone for a walk on the beach and told God how you feel? And I, I really, it came to me as I was thinking about it. She said, like, you're angry at God, tell him. You're disappointed in that person, tell God. He, he can take it. He can take it. Whatever you're carrying today, whatever disappointment, even if it's in yourself, I, I wonder if there's literally a walk on the beach that you need to take where you need to just tell God what you think, what is going on, to, to get it out there. Because I know that as you do that, and my experience has been that as I have done that, that it is in, because that's what the Psalms are, right? They're just like honest. I mean, crazy honest. Like, God, you've forsaken me. Like, when you do that, God meets you right there. There's a, there's a grace you meet Jesus in your disappointment and he actually speaks words of life. I know it to be true. I've, I've had it. It doesn't mean that you'll never go through life again with disappointment, but I just wonder, for some of us, is that an appointment that you've got to make? You've got to kind of go on a walk on the beach and find your Lord and your friend and your Savior and talk it out with him. Because I know that when it feels like death, there's always new life after death. This is the Christian hope. There's always new life after death. And when the Spirit of God, when there's permission for grace, it will be the final word. The disappointment is not the final word. But when there's a permission for grace, it will be the final word. And God's Spirit intersects with our brokenness and breathes life and can bring newness. I love what Richard Rohr says, and hopefully this will maybe be on the screen as well. It's a longer quote. He says this, that all great spirituality is about what we do with our pain. When life is hard, we're primed to learn something absolutely central. Our wounds are God's hiding place and hold our greatest gifts. It is no surprise that a dramatically wounded man became the central transformative symbol of Christianity. Once the killing of God becomes the redemption of the world, then forevermore 
the very worst things have the power to become the very best things. Henceforth, nothing can be a dead end. Everything is capable of new meaning. We are indeed saved by gazing upon the wounded one. Our hope today and your hope today is that Jesus is alive and he's cooking your breakfast and he wants to walk on the beach to tell you that he loves you, that his grace is enough, that disappointment is not the end of the story, it is not the final word, that he's still at work and that he's in your, he'll never let you down. The wounded risen one is our friend and he can bring newness and things can only get better. Simone Ville, who's a mystic, said this, that grace fills empty spaces, but it can only enter where there's a void to receive it. And it is grace itself that makes the void. And that's what I'm going to finish with. That my prayer this morning, Redeemer, for some of you here, for me, all of us, in some way, is that when we come to the table this morning, that grace itself has made a void in us that can be filled up by the love of God and that we can hear those words in our ears. Follow me, follow me. Rosie and Libby are gonna serve communion and the way we do it here, if you're new this morning, is this is an open table, which means you are a lot, you're welcome to be at the table if you want to be at the table. This is Jesus' table. He invites us all to come. And the bread which represents his body and the wine which represents his blood. It speaks of who he is and what he has done for us. And I'd love us to come to the table. We're going to sing and we're going to, as we sing, you can come and receive the elements from Libby and from Rosie. Before we do that, I just thought it would be great for us just to capture all that we've kind of been thinking about this morning in this liturgy, which is a prayer for communion and Eucharist. So let's... I'll say this bit and there's a bit in bold after this in the next slide that you can say together. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table you who have much faith and you who would like to have more and you who have often been here and you who have not been here for a long time. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. And together, loving God, through your goodness, we have this bread and wine and grape juice to offer, which has come forth from the earth and human hands have made. May we know your presence in the sharing so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among his community through the centuries and shares with us now, made one in Christ and one with each other. We offer these gifts and with them ourselves, a single living act of proof. Jesus, we thank you today for your outrageous, scandalous grace that finds us exactly where we are and we thank you for restoration and hope and Lord we just pray today that we would not only receive your grace but minister it to one another and may you have your way in this place may you bring healing and hope to heavy hearts this morning may you lift us may you bring liberation and freedom 
in your precious name. Amen. Let's worship together and let's come and receive the bread and the wine.